I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. And as always, if you'd like to reach us to the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, some of you already know what this is. In fact, if you've looked at the title of this show, you probably know what this is. This is going to be part two of our 2020-2021 season review. Of course, I'm joined by the marvelous Dave Hendrick, who you can find on Twitter, at TwoFootedPod. It's also uh, the name of his show. If you're Googling it or, or looking for it on the podcasting apps, I think it shows up under EPL Index Podcast. So uh, either of those things, be sure to check him out. He's fantastic. Um, as we mentioned at the start of part one, we've done these for the last... Four years, maybe, of doing transfer recap, season recap. So uh, we're going through every club on the first episode. We went from Arsenal through Leicester. Today we're going to be going all the way from Liverpool to Wolves. Some big clubs in here, so we'll try to hit the gas pedal a little bit. Otherwise, uh, we'll all be here feature-length amounts of time. Uh, but anyway, Dave, I figure we'll start off with you. Obviously, not the season Liverpool were hoping for coming into it. Lots of devastating injuries. Maybe a little bit of a title hangover, but you still managed to get top four regardless. Yeah, I mean, you can break our season into three parts. So if you look at the season up until Christmas, um, where we beat Crystal Palace 7-0, that's 14 games in, and we were top of the league. We were the best team in the country through the first 14 games. Uh, our only defeat was to Aston Villa, that bizarre 7-2. But we were top. We'd lost Van Dijk. We'd lost Gomez. We'd lost Thiago for a, a sizable portion of the season. Um, and and then, it all, then it all came tumbling down around our ears. And between Christmas and the next game was a 1-1 draw at home to West Brom. And a 1-0 defeat at home to Fulham on the 7th of March. That's a 14-game stretch in which Liverpool were absolutely appalling. Eight defeats, three wins, three draws. Relegation form for 14 games, having topped the table for 14 games. But then the last 10 games, again, we were the best team in the country, the best, the best record over the last 10 games. Um, eight wins, two draws. And managed to not just get top four when at one point we looked dead and buried. We were eighth after 28 games. We went sixth, then seventh, then sixth. Then it looked like we blew it when we drew away with Leeds and at home with Newcastle having had those games in hand going into added time. But five wins on the bounce plus Leicester falling apart, Chelsea having slip-ups. We end up in third and I have no idea how. I would say for the first 14 games, I think it's an A because we were top of the table. For the last 10, it's an A. But that middle 14, that is an F minus of a run. (laughs) Um, So overall, I think it's a B. I think it's not what we hoped for. We'd obviously hope to retain the title. And I think if we'd had a full strength team, I think we'd have won the title at a canter. 
But it is what it is. Third will do. We'll have to reload. We get Van Dyke back for next season. We already have Ibrahima Kanate coming in. I think we saw in that last 10-game runs exactly what Thiago Alcantara is going to be for this team. And, um, you know, I, I think we'll be good to go again next season. But, yeah, I think a B overall is, is where I'd fall on this season. Yeah, and what's all the hate against Thiago about? Part of it is there are some portions of the Liverpool fan base who don't like the idea that he might replace Jordan Henderson in the team. Uh... Part of it is that he's not the typical type of midfielder we see in the Premier League in that he doesn't get a whole lot of goals or assists, but that's not what he does. He's a controller. He's an instigator. He's the one that gets your team playing. He's the conduit for everything to go through. And we saw him take, like, him and Henderson only played in midfield together, I think, once uh, in a three with Fabinho. That was against Everton. It's the only it's the only game Thiago and Fabinho played in midfield together that Liverpool didn't win. He didn't seem to, him and Henderson was an awkward fit because both of them want the ball a lot. And obviously Thiago's better on the ball than Henderson. Henderson does a lot of screaming. Thiago didn't seem to take to that all that well. It wasn't really a surprise that when Henderson got hurt, Thiago improved massively. And indeed, Liverpool's form improved massively. Uh, now, it's not just about Henderson. It was about how everything else slotted in. But Henderson at centre-back was a major issue through that bad run. And when he got hurt against Everton and Liverpool just had to play centre-backs because they had nobody else, the team sort of settled and found its groove. Um, so next season, that's going to be an issue Klopp will have to sort out. I think he's going to have to figure out what to do with Henderson moving forward because at 31, another injury-plagued season, that's now four out of the last five where he's missed substantial amounts of time. He hasn't played over, I think, 2,100 minutes in a league season in... I think he's done it. I think he's only done it once since 14-15. Yeah, I think I'm right in hmm. saying that. He's only played over 2,100 minutes once since 14-15. So I think next season what we'll see is Henderson will sort of slide into the role that's been James Milner's, where he'll be used in certain situations in certain games, mm-hmm. but won't be an every game starter. Um, because they're going to have to manage him. Like, the, the, the lad has had... He had six injuries in a 12-month period, and he got hurt in February. Initially, the diagnosis was he'll be back after the international break at the start of April, and by the end of the season, he still wasn't fit, and he's still not fit now, and we're almost four months past that injury. He's gone to the Euros. Um, If he plays, I'd be surprised. I'd also be even more surprised if he played and managed not to get injured. So... You know, I think it's just one of those things that Klopp's going to have to manage very carefully next season. He's yeah. obviously the club captain, so he's going to he's going to play in in you know in quite a few games. But I think it will be more that sort of Milner situation where he might have twenty five, thirty appearances, but maybe only has like fourteen, fifteen hundred minutes because you don't get less injury prone as you get older. Right. <laughs> I'm not even a professional athlete, and that's accurate. Um, yeah, I also thought it was interesting that a lot of people were talking about like Trent's regression and whether or not I should make it up to the Euro squad. Obviously, he's had to withdraw. 
um, with a leg injury, which is a shame. Um, but he, I think, led the league in accurate crosses. So, yeah, he had 67, and then Robertson was tied for second with 60. So, I, you know, maybe maybe it was the defensive performances, but I was just curious as to your thoughts on, on his performances here. He, he got COVID in preseason, and I think he got long COVID off the back of it. And there's no doubt it's it's the worst season Trent has had in terms of game-to-game performance. But from about mid-February on, he was really, really good. He also had a hamstring injury in the first part of the season as well that didn't help. But I do just think it was the effects of COVID, personally. Because the Trent we saw at the end of the season was very much the Trent we've gotten used to. Um, so, you know, and now he gets the summer off. I know it's not ideal that he's going to be rehabbing an injury. Mm. But I, I was actually hoping he'd get left out of the squad because I wanted just to see to rest him go up on a reve- and... Yeah, and go on a revenge tour next year and be like, right, you think Reese James is better than me and Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier? Allow me to show you what a great right back looks like. And he is the best right back England have. He's the best right back in the league. He, he should have been. Like, if you're, if, if everybody's being honest, there are two players that England have that can claim to be better footballers at this point than Trent. Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. Mm. And that's it. And even Sterling had is debatable because he, yeah. he had a stinker of a season. Kane had an incredible season. And we'll get to him when we get to Spurs because he's been robbed of a couple of awards that he deserved. <laughs> it's true. But other than those two... When the team sheet is handed to Southgate, it should come with those three names printed on it, and then he can pick the rest. To, to even yeah. debate that the others are on Trent's level was foolish. Hmm. Yeah, obviously, Reese James, you know, success-wise this year, um, got a lot of plaudits and made a step forward. But, yeah, raw well, talent-wise. pull down the first-choice spot at Chelsea for most of the season. <laughs> like... Aspia Quetta played a bunch at wing back. Callum Hudson Adoy played a bunch at wing back under Tuchel. It's the same thing on the left. Like Ben Chilwell had a great season, but he wasn't first choice all year because yeah. Marcus Alonso played a ton. So I think people have different expectations. Like I heard the argument been made oh, well, like Kyle Walker won the league and Kieran Trippier won the La Liga and, and Reese James won. The Champions League, yeah, Trent's won the Premier League and Champions League. Yeah, so and is younger. <laughs> and is younger. It's, it's not like a thing that this is some scrub yeah. or some lad who's just had his first season. He's a very experienced player at this point and has won everything there is to win in the game domestically. Yeah. Um, all right, one last Liverpool question for you. Uh, biggest need this summer? Honestly... I think the biggest need is a wide player because I think they need to either consider moving to 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 and put Salah through the middle Mm. or if they're going to stick with 4-3-3, I think either Salah or Mane needs to go through the middle and Firmino needs to be dropped out of the team. I think ideally you'd want to have Salah, Mane plus one as the starters, Firmino and Jota as the depth. That, to me, is an elite front five. Mane obviously had a very poor season. First bad season he's had for Liverpool. But again, he got COVID in October and was never the same afterwards. So, you know, his underlying numbers are all quite similar to what they had been before. It was just the actual production wasn't there. 
Um, and at times he just looked a little bit disinterested. But I, I think I think get that get a high end wide player in. Or look, if you could go and get a great number nine, I'd be all for it. But I don't think they will. And I'd rather play Salah through the middle and bring in a Rafinha, a Sancho. That type of player. Then have to spend whatever it costs to get a good enough striker up front. That's exactly what we did when we signed Bergvine. Is Kane yeah. went down and we looked at the cost of strikers and we were like, why don't we just buy Bergvine and place on up front? Um, That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. just price-wise, that, that tends to make more sense. Uh, I ended up, I think, giving you a C. Where did you land? A B. A B. I think gotcha. we had two portions of the season that I think were an A, one that was an F-, minus. but to get third with everything that went on, I think it's True. a B. And I think, I think for Klopp, it's a it's a huge achievement to have gotten third with, you know. Let's let's remember, Nat Phillips couldn't give him away to Championship clubs a year ago. Starting regularly, yeah. Starting regularly, and Reese James next, or Reese Williams next to him, who was in the playing in the conference last season. Mm. Like, yeah, I think that's I a difference think in our grades. Fully grasped how bad those two really were. Th- th- how bad the situation was yeah. that those two were starting regularly. I think the difference in our grades is I'm thinking preseason expectation of course, with a little bit of injury. And you're saying with the injuries, it's incredible that you achieved what you did, which is absolutely fair. Um, moving to Manchester City next. Uh, they, you know, won the Premier League again as per um, for the most part. Um, their transfers were terrific. Ruben Diaz, Ferran Torres, incredible players. Ruben Diaz is not Virgil van Dijk. I'm not going to go on a rant about that. You can if you want. The um, Nathan Ake signing was a bit weird considering then they went out inside Ruben Diaz because now they spent all that money on a fourth <laughs> center back. But, you know, whatever. Obviously, the big losses, David Silva, Leroy Sané, and Oda Mendy if it was 2016. <laughs> but he obviously wasn't playing that big a part. And I think he was out on loan at some point. But anyway, uh, this is the fewest points for a title-winning side since 2015-16, which is when Leicester did it. But they obviously won't be complaining too much. Um, except for the fact that, you know, they miss out on the Champions League again, which is why I've given them an A-. minus. seems like you've divided it very nicely between Premier League and everything else, and I have not done as good a job of that. Um, so, obviously, falling short of there uh, is going to be a big disappointment for them. Um, the signing of DS was a terrific one. Uh, Stones developed really well next to him, which was very important. Very uncomfortable for Eimerick Laporte, who a couple of years ago, when he first joined, was it January two years ago? And <laughs> we were all talking about how you know, he was probably the second most talented center back in the league. And now he's the third choice on his own team. Obviously, they ended up rotating back and forth between Stones and Laporte there down the stretch. Um, but yeah, it's just very strange given his talent and past performances. And yeah, some of the rumors about him wanting to leave, especially after what happened with the French national team and how he's Spanish. All that stuff. Not an easy time in the life of Imerick Laporte. Um, Cancelo found a way to finally be useful, uh, rotating between right and left back, depending on who was fit or who was playing each match. Um, and like I said, David Silva. David Silva is one of the most skillful footballers I've ever seen with my own eyes. And Phil Foden kind of replaced him pretty well. Mm. Um, so I, I will never say that Phil Foden is the next David Silva. There are City people that... Years ago, we're saying that Phil Foden would end up being better than David Silva, which I considered heresy of the highest order. Um, but Phil Foden came in, 14 goal contributions. Silva had 16 last year, mostly playing in similar spaces. Just the, the talent on that kid is unbelievable. You were talking about, you know, who can claim a, a spot more strongly than, than Trent being Kane and Sterling. In a year or two, Foden's going to be on that list of the, of the four or five. Names in pen, and then you oh, give yeah. him, Southgate Sancho, or whoever next is a pencil. 
him, Sancho, I think Declan Rice, Bellingham. Like, that England team is going to pick itself in a couple of years. Like, yeah. you'd be hard-pressed not to look at Bellingham, Rice, Mount and go, that is the midfield. Mm. And then say Foden, Kane, Sancho as the Foden attack. Wide. With, 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 yeah, Foden on the, maybe on the right cutting in, Sancho on the left, Kane through the middle with, with um, Rashford, Greenwood and Sterling as depth or Rashford, yeah. Greenwood and Saka. Like, England's attacking options are going to be insane. Yep. Um, for sure. This is not going to be breaking news when people listen to this, but it's breaking news for me and you now. David Ornstein has just tweeted, Aston Villa close to completing signing of Emi Buendia mm. from Norwich will be a club record sale for Norwich in £30 million plus add-ons and a sell-on clause. Personal terms agreed. Medical done. The Getafe sell-on was bought out a while ago. Um, so it looks like Arsenal have missed out on Emi Buendia, who seemed to be their top target for the summer. Uh, but a great signing for Villa. And now we wait and see. Because the assumption will now be that that's Grealish gone. Mm. We'll wait and see. I don't think it means Grealish gone. Yeah, me either. I, I think he'd be, either be able to play on the opposite side. And depending mm. on what you want, you could either do Bertrand Traore or him. And then whenever Grealish does get injured, because you said the big thing is if we get to see Grealish play a whole season is now you have a player that's comfortable playing out wide and being creative at the same time, which is exactly, exactly. what they missed the second Grealish one. I down. wonder if they might go to four two three one with Luis and McGinn as a two, mm-hmm. Watkins as a, a kind of on the right but narrow um, because Matty Cash will, will bomb on outside him. Buendia on the left, Grealish is a 10, and maybe, maybe they go back in for Tammy Abraham, who they tried to Ooh. sign last summer. Yeah. If they got him... They're, they're going to be a problem if they get a, a, a recognised number nine. Watkins had a good season. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to get you 25 Premier League goals. I think Tammy Abraham in that team could get you 25 league goals. I'll but, be honest. I If I have Watkins and I know how much it costs to get Tammy Abraham, I have no reason to think that Watkins couldn't get there. It's you, possible. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you're not right. I'm just saying I'm not sure it's worth the money. It's possible, but if, if Watkins is your lone source of goals in the team and those goals dry up, because Buendia is not a big Premier League goal scorer, Grealish is not a big Premier League mm, goal scorer, sure. then you've got to go and find goals in that wide role. Now, maybe maybe they do that. Maybe they bring in a goal-scoring wide player rather than a number nine and leave Watkins through the middle, and that, that yeah, could work we as well. Yeah. Villa could be a problem next season. If they, if they get a couple more of that kind of level, especially a centre-back, They'll be, yeah. they'll be problematic. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, just just uh, breaking news for you there. Uh, but finishing up uh, City, I think uh, obviously very positive step forward from Foden. The big question is now that you're losing Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus has had many years to prove that he's the heir apparent, and I don't think he is. Um, but, but Aguero, again, just an incredible Premier League footballer, uh, ended up as the highest single-scoring player for a club, a record he took from Rooney with a brace in his final PL match that he came on in his final Premier League match that he came on as a sub and still scored two. Uh, and funny against Everton as well, the, yeah. the club that Rooney started and finished his Premier League. <laughs> That's funny. And I will say their defense was not particularly uninviting. <laughs> snatching that that record. But obviously a very, very good season for, for Manchester City, especially considering everything that was going on that led to struggles at a lot of the other big clubs. But uh, yeah, that Champions League final is, is going to bite. They're closer now, I guess. They need a striker, so you know maybe that Champions League final loss is why they're going to stump up 
150 million pounds or whatever it winds up costing Kane. Um, but yeah, obviously that big disappointment, but still won a couple of other trophies. Still has to be considered an A season for them. I went A minus because of the Champions League. But if we're divorcing the two, then I'm sure it's an A from you as well. Yeah, it's an A from me. I think if you if you factor in the Champions League, and I think they do. I think that's a big part of why the whole project exists. And then, yeah, I think it's either a, you know an A minus or maybe even a B plus if you've been really critical of them. Hmm. Um, but you you know they won the league. Um, they they managed the season better than everybody else because they've got the strongest squad because they've spent so much money. Like you mentioned, they've got they've got four really good centre backs there, like. Four centre backs who all cost over forty million pounds. They have three full backs who cost over fifty million pounds. They should be able to manage it better than everybody else. Um, I thought Gundogan was sensational for them this season. For yeah. me, he was the the only real contender to Harry Kane for Player of the Season. Um, he was for me City's best player. De Bruyne was great. Diaz had had a very good first season. The, the debate is not worth having. Look at it this way. If you put Virgil van Dijk in that City team, they get a lot better. If you put Diaz in the Liverpool team, instead of van Dijk, they get worse because he can't play in the Liverpool system. He'd get annihilated playing in that high line. So um, he, he's a good centre-back. He may become a very good centre-back, but the overhyping of him is is frustrating. Mm. Um, Foden had a great year. Mares, I thought, had a very good year. Bernardo Silva had a good year. Sterling, very disappointing. The injuries to Jesus and Aguero, disappointing. But I actually thought, when they went on that great run, after having a disappointing start, they went on that great run, and they were playing without a striker. Yeah. And they were playing like positionless football with, the th- with Walker joining the two centre-backs as a back three, Canseo stepping into midfield next to Rodri, to form a platform and a defensive shield in front of that back three. And then the other five, Gundogan, De Bruyne, and then normally Sterling, Mares, and Foden as a front five, and all of them rotating position, they were just sensational. If he'd done that in the Champions League final, they'd be the champions of Europe. Mm. Instead, he left Rodri out and got a little bit too too snazzy with himself. But um, look, a, a good season, but a season that they've had before, yeah, they were aiming for more. At one point, they looked like they were on for a quadruple. Chelsea took both the FA Cup and the the Champions League away from them. So, uh, I would give them an A based on the Premier League se- uh, season. Um, mm. Right, Manchester United next, second in the table. Uh, I would suggest a weak second place in that seventy four points. There are seasons in which you would not have even gotten top four with seventy four points. Uh, 14 points off City, never really challenged for the title. There was like never one week like where it was like nine or seven. Nine, and I think they had a game in hand. Yeah. And that was about it. Um, a very weak end to the season. Defeats at home to Leicester when they rested everybody because they had to play Liverpool, and then they lost to Liverpool as well. Uh, then they drew 1-1 with Fulham and were very, very fortunate because the goal they got was offside. Um. And then they beat Wolves, obviously, on the last day to finish out the season. But, look, second place, it is progress. Um, They lost the European final, just like City. I would give them a B on the the Premier League season. 
But I think when you factor in they lost the Europa League to Unai Emery, um, maybe a B minus. They yeah. didn't really have many injuries to overcome this season. They had a pretty, you know, other than I think Pogba and Martial are the only regular starters that missed more than like six, seven games. Um, I think they had a fairly good run of things. And as I said in part one about Leicester, you look at next season with Chelsea reloading and a real manager, Liverpool will have everybody back and some new players. They're not getting second next season. Like they might've finished above Liverpool this season, but in a season when Liverpool were dreadful and it's the best season United have had allegedly since Ferguson left, despite the fact they could argue since Jose same spot. See, that's the thing. Mourinho finished second and with more points. And yet, United fans are, are claiming, well, not all of them, obviously, but there are a chunk of United fans claiming this is the best season that they've had. Well, they finished five points behind Liverpool having the worst possible season they could have. Uh, five points ahead, rather. So yeah, I would look at next season and I have big question marks over United. Like, put mm. it this way, they spent all that money on that defence. Liverpool had championship-level players at centre-back for the run-in. And Liverpool ended up with a better defensive record than them. Wow. That's not ideal. And yeah, it's not great. The other big question is, who's the goalkeeper? Henderson. It just needs to be. I, I, I agree, but they don't seem to know yet. Well, I, I, my assumption was that that's why they brought in Heaton. Was now Heaton's the two, Henderson's the one, and you find a place for De Gea. But you got to do it. But is Aston Villa's backup goalkeeper really good enough to be Manchester United's backup goalkeeper? <laughs> well, that's I mean, a weird one to me. Yeah. And like you know from from, from watching NFL, there's this the old saying: if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Yep. I kind of look at it and think: if you've got two goalkeepers, you don't have a goalkeeper. Yeah. We don't yet know if if Henderson is is Manchester United level. If he's a top four caliber goalkeeper, we know De Gea was. He's not now. We don't know what Henderson is yet because we haven't seen enough of him. I, I think they've got they've got big question marks, and obviously we'll see what they do in the summer. But their fans are expecting a big window. Traditionally, under the Glazers, United don't spend big in when they have Champions League secured. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get Pau Torres and maybe two or three players in the 40, 30 to forty million pound range. And they don't get Sancho, they don't get Rice, they don't get Grealish, they don't get Kane. They I think United fans though. will be in for a tough season. The, all of those, all of those players are going to go for more money than they should. I really like Pal Torres. I think that would be a really good signing. So do them. I. But the issue, Kev, is he's a left-sided centre back. Yeah. You spent eighty million on Harry Maguire, who's a left-side centre back. I know he's right-footed, but he didn't play on the right for Leicester. He played on the left. Yeah. You bought him based on his attributes in that role. And now you're going to move him. Like, that's just, it's bad management. Or you aren't moving him. And Maguire and De Gea are both looking for jobs. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, at a certain point, do you just admit, like, okay, leadership qualities, I guess. But, like, the on-pitch performance isn't good enough. Because Pau Torres is a better center back, for me, anyway. Um, but uh, we'll go from there. I, I ended up giving them a B. Um, we'll go on to Newcastle now. Um, there was a lot of doom and gloom surrounding Newcastle. For long stretches of the summer with the... Well, I guess it wasn't actually a summer. It was like September um, because of the weird COVID uh, stuff affecting the the lengths and timings of seasons. But um, when it seemed like the the, uh, they were going to get that buyout finally, didn't end up happening. Season starts. 
We still have Mike Ashley. We still have Steve Bruce. Everything's going to be terrible. We're going down. I think Jake had them going down, and he's a Newcastle fan. A lot of other people, I'm sure, had them in their preseason predictions going down. Uh, and then they finished 12th, <laughs> um, which is much higher than that. Like we mentioned, there was like a passing ships moment in like February, maybe it was, February or March, when, I think it was February, when Fulham were on the way up, Newcastle were on the way down. That was going to be how the season ended. Super didn't happen. They got Callum Wilson back. I think they got Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximin back the same week. And then they got um, Almiron back the weekend before that. And then just things entirely changed. Um, pretty good end to the season. Pretty decent results. Some some uh, scalps that they got that were that were probably above what any Newcastle fan would have even hoped. Um However, that probably doesn't change the long-term perspective of fans at the club who probably still want Ashley gone, still want Bruce gone. Um, but their season was fine. <laughs> like you, you can't use this season to tar and feather those two. Like things worked out, things could have broken badly. But if you had had Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximum fit for the whole season, you're probably in the top ten, <laughs> not potentially battling relegation. And like I said, they ended up twelfth, which wasn't anywhere close. Thirteenth in goals, thirteenth in goals allowed. So. Maybe that's, you know, maybe they landed exactly where they were supposed to land. But if they had been more fit for more of the season, that team has plenty of talent and attack, and they set up defensively. They only really need four people attacking at any given time. Um, Alan St. Maximin is just electric. Callum Wilson will sc- score goals when he has the chances to score goals. Joe Ellington even played a fairly important role for them. It's pretty clear Almiron isn't ever going to be what, what people expected when he left Atlanta United. And everybody was wondering if this was going to be like the start of a pipeline between the MLS and the Premier League. Uh, no. <laughs> it turns out to be the answer there. But yeah, you throw Ryan Fraser into that mix. Obviously, he didn't have an incredible season, but you got him, you got Matt Ritchie. It's, it's a. Uh, it is a team that will often finish between 8th and 12th. And that's what they did this year, just at the lower end of that range. And like I said, most people expected they'd just get relegated. Um, oh, I almost forgot about Joe Willock, who only came in in January and then managed to score 8 goals in their last 9 matches. Didn't he win Player of the Month, too? After doing all that? Like, yeah, I think, I think didn't he Player of the Month for... For April or May? Yeah, it was either April or May. He was, he was exceptionally good. For he them. was fantastic. But you know what they shouldn't do? Pay the money Arsenal are expecting them to pay to sign him. Like that. But would... you know what Arsenal shouldn't do? <laughs> Sell him? Sell him. <laughs> like, period. Like, you've been crying out for goals from midfield all year. Yeah. And one of your players is off rampaging through the league. Yeah. <laughs> Under it, Steve Bruce. And it's incredible with, like, the late runs he was making, how good he is with his head, which just, like, isn't a requirement for the position he plays, but just, like, ooh, fun bonus. Um, yeah, he, he was fantastic. I'm assuming they're going to do some nonsense and try to sell him for, like, $30 million, the same way they did a Wobie. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think Newcastle should try to buy him. And to your point, Arsenal shouldn't try to sell him, so... Um, but but just distilled into the period that he was there, that is one of the best stretches that anybody's ever had. That's one of the best January loan signings that yeah. I've ever seen personally. I'm sure there are years before me where somebody pulled off some kind of magic. But, man, the, the, the attitude shift as soon as Joe Willick was regularly playing. He wasn't even starting, by the way. <laughs> For the most part, he was coming on from a sub and saving them in every match in the, like, the last 10 matches. But yeah. anyway, well, on the whole, they were I'm, fine. I'm doing that. You what? What'd you say? Yeah, like he was coming off the bench and performing like that. That was very, very impressive. Now, I know he yeah. did start a bunch of the games, but, you know, like you said, it's unusual for a January loan signing to have that type of effect. 
And this season we had two of them yeah. have that type of effect. So, like you said, Newcastle, lots of doom and gloom. Um, but overall, I think they had a decent window mm-hmm. last summer. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone could really complain too much about the players they brought in. The The issue might have been they left it quite late or they maybe didn't do enough. But and they were a centre-back short. They sold Lejeune and then, of course, Char got injured because he always does. Well, because he always does. I had Newcastle predicted to finish 14th. Oh, not bad. Um, which wasn't bad. Now, look, don't give me too much credit. I predicted West Ham to go down. <laughs> um, but, you know, such is life. Um, the football is is a little bit difficult on the eye. Bruce's style of football isn't particularly good. And the run of form between the 16th of December... And the 4th of April, where they won only two games, was tough to take. Mm. But they found form at the right time. And from mid-February on, they did improve. Draws with Wolves, West Brom, Villa, defeat to to Brighton away, draw with Spurs, beat Burnley, beat West, beat West Ham, surprisingly. Um, drew at Liverpool, lost to Arsenal, beat Leicester, thumped Leicester, should have beat them five or six. Uh, lost to City, everybody expected them to lose that, and then beat Sheffield United, beat Fulham at the end of the year. All things considered, 12th is probably a, a maybe maybe about fair, maybe a, a touch high. Like you said, what, 13th in goals scored, 13th in goals mm-hmm. conceded. So in and around the ballpark. I wouldn't give Bruce too much credit. I think it is a talented squad. You, you listed out some of the attackers there, and they'd grace a lot of teams. Um. I'd give them a C, maybe a C plus because they finished 12th rather than, you know, the Hodgie 14th. <laughs> I'll go C plus. But there's still there's still problems at Newcastle off the pitch. The manager isn't popular. The owner is less popular. But, of course, for the owner, he, he wants a Steve Bruce who can be a punching bag and he can hide behind. Like the last thing he wants is a Rafa who's popular because that will just put more hate on him. Um, Newcastle fans are still holding out hope for a takeover and I, I think neutrals should as well because Newcastle are a good club and they've got great fans and it'd be nice to see them not have to go through this charade every year where you know there's promises made and promises not kept yeah I, I totally agree and uh, going from them who people thought might finish 20th to Sheffield United who I'm sure very few people thought would actually wind up going down without a fight as, as they did what did you make of their season I, it, what? hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Plushcare.com slash weightloss. So it was bad. F. F, let's move what's on. <laughs> it, was, it was an atrocity. Like, let's, let's not beat around the bush. To go 17 games taking only two points is a disgrace. Um, two points from 51 is a disgrace. They did improve, and they went on to win seven of their last 21 games, which, you know, if they'd had that form early in the season, maybe they'd have survived. Um, they had a spell after the manager, after Chris Wilder left, though, where they did look like they gave up a little bit before starting to find a bit of form again at the end of the season, won three of the last six. The transfer window last summer did not go well. They Ramsdale, they overpaid for. We were both skeptical about that deal, but there looked to be logic behind it. They've got a great mm. development goalkeeping staff there. They've done wonders with Dean Henderson. Ramsdale had come through their academy, so they knew him. They knew what kind of personality he was. Um, but they they paid eighteen million for a guy that was the worst keeper in the league the previous season. That's and just the be all and end all of two clubs down in consecutive years, which is yeah. thoroughly unsurprising to me. Um. Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle were good signings for the long term, but neither got much of an opportunity this year. Ollie Burke was a weird signing. It was a gamble. It didn't work. Um, Rian Brewster, they they spent big, big money on, and, and it didn't work. And they kind of gave up on him very early. And he didn't get a goal or an assist all season. He wasn't getting games towards the end of the year. Young Jebison appeared out of nowhere, and all of a sudden <laughs> he was starting. Um, so uh, massive question marks over Bruce. They've obviously brought in Jukanovic, who's a promotion expert, brought up Watford and Fulham. So he knows what he's doing in the championship. He'll take over the bones of a good squad. Like this is still the squad that finished ninth. Like, let's not pretend it's a squad full of trash. It's a squad that finished ninth bar Henderson, uh, Ramsdale. I think there's a decent goalkeeper in there. He's just not there yet. It'll take a bit of time. But playing in a good team in the championship might boost his confidence as opposed to playing in a bad team in the Premier League, even though it's the same team. Brewster the same way. He'll be in a good team in the championship as opposed to that bad team in the Premier League. So maybe that's something you can, a reclamation project. The only one I'd imagine they'll lose for sure is Sander Berger. I don't think he's going to the championship. Um, But other than that, it's hard to see anybody else leaving they'll lose um uh ampadu because he was in on loan but i think yeah. everybody else could well stay i think they had an option to buy could... but i doubt it would happen in the championship no but maybe chelsea would be willing to loan him out again to get him more experience yeah. the hope i would have for them is that they don't stupidly sell ishmael akula bali who they loaned out last summer to burshot who's their sister club he had a brilliant season apparently they've already had some offers for him if they're losing Berger, you've got to bring him in to replace him. Ideally, you'd just do what Norwich did last summer and just be ignorant and say, no, we're not selling. Yeah, We're keeping Berger. We're keeping him. They're the, the foundation of our midfield for next year. We're going to have Jebison and Brewster up front. We've got O'Connell coming back. We've got Egan. We've got Basham. He probably needs to be replaced. Maybe you could keep Ampadu to replace him. We've got Bogle. We've got Lowe. We need one or two more pieces. We're going to be good to go. We're keeping what we have. If they did that, they'd have a good old shot at coming back up. It, it is a... Like, this season didn't do them justice at all. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it's an F minus, and it's if there was a lower grade to give them, that's what you give them because, <laughs> I mean, they they were just a, a bit of a shambles, and yeah. um, I think the only thing they can take is that they broke the record for the most defeats in a season. Um, they had the worst start to a Premier League season, and um, it can't get any worse. Yeah, that's all. Let's say it can't get worse. And in theory, it'll be one of the best squads in the championship day one. Like we've seen what Rian yes. Brewster can do there. Like you mentioned, O'Connell missed the entire season, which I think damaged them far more than anyone would have expected. But yeah, they they should be fine. Um, moving on to Southampton next, um, I wound up giving them a D. They finished fifteenth. They were nineteenth in goals allowed. Like that is not good you mentioned earlier uh them being down there and i'm sure that'll catch some people by surprise um last transfer window we gave them a c minus in the summer um and the question was largely have they actually improved their squad and our thought at the time was basically that they hadn't and that definitely bore out um they finished with nine fewer points than they had in 1920. Um, the high point was very clearly the Liverpool win, based on the reaction that, that Hasenhutl had. Um, and then basically everything went down uh, in a fire trash <laughs> after that. Um, Ings and Ward-Prowse were pretty terrific. Che Adams, I thought, finally took a step forward. Nine goals, 14 goal contributions is more than they were getting from him before. And, you know, you take the good with the bad with things. You know he's going to, you know have random one to two week injuries and knowing that Jay Adams can can at least keep the goals flowing without him I think is an important thing for them to know I think I still believe in Hasenhutl it's weird the long stretches of terribleness they go through didn't really settle on a goalkeeper the back four wasn't very convincing um I don't know how much of that is a is a him thing versus a squad thing but on the whole, you're sticking with him another year for sure. If anything, I think you're lucky because if he'd had another good season, he'd probably be gone. Um, if he had a good season, he'd be get, he'd probably be a front runner for the Spurs job. Yeah, I would not be surprised. And I, it'll, if you told me that last year, I would not have hated it. Um, the squad definitely needs improvement, either from development within because they do have a fairly young squad, or bringing in transfers. Uh, if they don't, they could be a sneaky relegation candidate next season. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you look at the the lack of depth. They had one right back in Kyle Walker-Peters and one left back in Ryan Bertrand and no backups because they loaned Jan Valeri out to Birmingham. And one's gone Uh, now. (laughs) And and Bertrand is gone now. And he he was injured for a bunch of the end of the season and they had to play a centre-back there. Um, Vestergaard fooled people early in the season into thinking he was some sort of great defender. Yeah. And the hope will be that somebody stopped watching them around Christmas time and gives them a <laughs> bunch of money for him and they can rebuild. Uh, they need a lot this summer. They need a goalkeeper. They need a new left back, a backup right back, although they, they could just bring Valeri back. Uh, they need an extra body in midfield. They own three central midfielders. Um, well, sorry, they own four. One yeah, is Lamina, who they, yeah. they have no interest in. But he does have a year left on his contract. So it's probably worth... And he was decent enough last year. Try to work him back in. So give him a chance. You've got him, you've got Romeo, you've got Diallo, you've got Ward-Prowse. That's a good group. Get one more ball player in who you can... Make sure James Ward-Prowse doesn't have to play every minute of every game again before you break him. Um, They need one in there. They probably need another striker. The big question mark is what's going to happen with Ings. He's got a year left in his contract. He hasn't really shown any inclination to sign a new deal. 
if he's not willing to stay, you're going to have to sell him this summer because Southampton can't afford to lose him for free. Um, like you said, Adams took a big step forward from from after lockdown last season. He actually started scoring goals. He hadn't scored up until that point, but the patience they showed him paid off. And like you said, 14 goal contributions this season is impressive. Good players in between the lines and Armstrong, Jenepo. I thought Minamino had moments where he looked really, really well suited to them. I uh, don't know if they'll have the interest in keeping him, but if yeah, possible. I also don't think he's going to make it to Liverpool. No, he's not making Liverpool. He's not He's not a Liverpool player. He he will be sold this summer or loaned out again, but he won't be at Liverpool next year. Um, They 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 have a big summer on. They, they need quite a bit. There's questions over the ownership. They're Chinese-owned, and a lot of the Chinese ownership around Europe are either selling up or really tightening the purse strings because their government is telling them to do so and bring mm. their money home. Happened with Suning at Inter, in case people are wondering what's going on Yeah, there. and and Wolves are for sale as well. So they're Chinese-owned too. That's, you know, there's, there's West Brom, they're Chinese-owned, so keep an eye on them too. Um, it's a big, big summer for Southampton, but yeah, I, I, right now, it's hard to look at them and think they won't be in the relegation mix next season because they need so much. They were top. They won on a Friday night this season and were top. Wow, I didn't even remember that. You know, like that—that's the kind of season that they had. Um, you look at—they beat Liverpool, and that was obviously a great result for them. They were very, very excited by the result, and rightly so. And they were sixth when they won that game. And then they didn't win a game. They lost six in a row, drew one, lost two more. One one lost two more. One one lost two more. Like they were just atrocious from when they beat Liverpool onwards. Um, really, really poor. Only four wins after that that Liverpool win. So, yeah, they they I mean they had three weeks in the top four. They finished three weekends in the top four this Crazy. year. Crazy. And they finished fifteenth. And we're. We're we're only going in one direction. Like if the season had been another ten games, they weren't going to go to ninth. They were going to yeah. go to nineteenth. Um, it's a D. It is a D. Unfortunately, and unfortunately for Ralph, that bad second half has probably cost him a job because I I do think if not Spurs, Everton would have been in for him. Yeah, yeah. His profile was right nice and high last summer, mm-hmm. but you know now it's up to him to either recover it or. You know, maybe he overperformed it. We we mis- misestimated him because basically the second he was signed, you, me, um, Sam, who comes on to talk with us about South England sometimes, we were all like, that's a fantastic signing. And then it bore out pretty immediately. But yeah, it, yeah, it's going to be a big year for him and Southampton at large. Um, all right. So uh, buckle up. I don't think we have that much time left to record. So I'll try to get through Tottenham <laughs> in less than 20 minutes. Um, it was not a great season. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, Dave. <laughs> it, it wasn't ideal. Um, so, the... Wow. Man, talking about Tottenham. Huh? Okay, so, before the transfer window, which, again, was very truncated because the gap between seasons was so short last year, I don't think there were many Tottenham fans that expected much more than top six and a deep cup run. We did not feel very confident about where we were off the back of Pochettino being sacked in Jose's half season, um, where we had chances twice to overtake Chelsea by playing them directly and beating them, lost both of those, 
ended up slipping down to sixth or seventh. I don't even remember. But it ended up being good enough for a Europa League play in place, which led to us playing over 55 matches this year. Fun. Um, then, at the end of that transfer window, we signed Bale and Regulon from Real Madrid. Although, obviously, that's not where Regulon had just won, won the Europa League. At that moment, the expectation shifted from we'd be fine with top six and a deep cup run to we have to get top four and a trophy. And the bad news is we basically did the former <laughs> seventh and obviously made it to the Carabao Cup final. Um, and that just wasn't, that just wasn't good enough. Uh, not only were the performances not good enough, the manager wasn't good enough, the interactions with everyone wasn't good enough. It was very, very bad. But, that happened later, because as you mentioned, at match week 14, Liverpool were leading the league and were in first. After match week 13, it was Tottenham, before we played you, where Bergvine missed two really easy chances that could have changed that match. And then Firmino gets the late header to, to kind of jumpstart you guys, and then for us, uh, uh, very much less so. Um, Mourinho's tactics were working at that time. We were basically only attacking with three players, Bergvine, Son, and Kane, and then using everyone else to defend, which was needed because we were regularly playing Eric Dyer. Um, but yeah, then after, after that loss to Liverpool in the last minute, something just snapped. I don't know if it's because of the way the loss happened, that it, was, that it reminded them of the Champions League loss. Um, there was some talk that um, I think you had a really big stretch of that game where you were really on the front foot, and uh, apparently Mourinho told them that they were like doing great. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We're just waiting for them to score a goal. Um, and Mourinho's like, no, sit back and defend. And then obviously you got the late winner. And so that might have been the, the beginning of the breaking between the squad and, and Mourinho after such a good start to the season. Um, but yeah, then everybody's player, all the players' heads dropped. Mourinho started slating him in the press. He did it so much that Levy himself had to tell Mourinho to stop insulting our players in the press. And then after the next match, he insulted the players in the press again. So that's probably when we started looking at sacking him. Because um, you can't do that, much like the Chris Wilder thing at Sheffield United. You know, As soon as you're disobeying or insulting your, your boss in any field, you're probably not long for that job. But yeah, then everything, everything just crumbled. Um, we sacked him, brought in Mason as our uh, interim manager. And to be fair... I think his team selection was not particularly great. He won four of his six Premier League matches. That is not bad. The downside is shifting those losses to the Carabao Cup. Although, apparently, one of the reasons why we sacked Jose when we did was Levy was worried that if Jose had been that crap and everyone hated him at the club, and then he won the Carabao Cup, the fans wouldn't have been okay with getting rid of him. I don't think that's true. I think everyone would have been just fine thanking him for the one piece of silverware and then bidding him adieu. But that was the perception anyway. So if anybody was wondering why we sacked Mourinho the week of a title, it wasn't that we were worried we'd lose it. It was worried that we would win it and what that would mean long-term for Mourinho and the future of the club considering how much damage he was doing internally. Um, yeah, so Mason comes in. Like I said, wins four of his six. Has two of the hardest press conferences any manager will ever have. The first one is he gets hired the day before the ESL news breaks. So his introductory press conference was him having to defend Tottenham and Daniel Levy's choice to join the ESL. 
And his third ever press conference was about his personal best friend and Tottenham talisman, Harry Kane, doing an interview intimating that he wants to leave. That is not an easy way to start your managerial career. Still got four out of the six. If the Kane stuff didn't happen, we would have won the Villa match. We would have been in the Europa League. Pretty confident in that. But on the whole, I don't blame Mason for that. Also worth noting, Harry Kane didn't actually say he wants to leave. He sure looked like he wants to leave. And like we talked about earlier, sure looked like he was saying goodbye to everybody. But really what he was asking for was for the club to match his ambition. And out of the blue... Daniel Levy was gifted the opportunity to sign one of the best managers in the game. You could argue the best. I probably wouldn't. You could have that argument if you wanted to. But Antonio Conte was released by Inter from his contract because he had just won them the Scudetto. And he was like, I need to keep my players and buy new players. And they're like, sounds great. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to sell your players and there's no money for new players. So Conte gets released into the wild. Brief rumors with the Madrid job, but then that ends up going to Ancelotti. Now Tottenham are the biggest club that needs a manager. And Antonio Conte is a very big manager that needs a club. We still have Harry Kane. You got Son. You still got Toby. You still got Hugo. There's, there's, there's pieces there. Pieces that have to win now. But there are pieces there. You actually look at the squad itself. It actually weirdly lines up with Conte's tactics. Where you could have used Ben Davis as a left-sided center back. Or Joe Roden, who's right-footed but comfortable on the left. Suddenly, you know, Dougherty looks less like the worst signing in the history of all time. Because now he can play as a right wing back. You have Son as the Lataru. The Kane as the Lukaku. Hoybier is a Brozovic-ish role. Bergvine would actually probably be really good as a left midfielder with some defensive responsibilities. Or as a wing back. Yeah, like or, or just Moses? traditionally shift him, yeah. Like, it weirdly would have worked out really well. Also, if you don't want to play Steven Bergvine on the left as a wingback or a left midfielder, you know who would be incredible if he didn't have to worry about defending? Sergio Regalon, who yeah. is fantastic. Had a terrible back half of the season. And you know who'd be a really good backup for him? Mm, Steven Sesson, or Ryan Sessegnon. Ryan Sessegnon. Yeah. Your squad is ideal for Conte. Yeah. You want a, a Barella-type box-to-box midfielder? Yeah, because it's oh, not terrible. Oh, there's Tango Yendembele. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's Giovanni Lo Celso, who could play the Ericsson role. Yep. As could Deli Ali. Toby in the middle of a back three, that extends his career. Yep. You probably need, ideally you'd want to buy two flanking centre-backs and a new goalkeeper. I'll be but honest with you, if there was literally no money, Davinson Sanchez on the right side of a three where his mistakes of not being able to track anyone, Toby yeah. could cover him, add that mobility over there. And Ben Davies on the left. <laughs> exactly. Or Roden or Tonganga. Like, all of a sudden, you're like the squad kind of makes sense if you're looking at it through the Conte lens. But then, all of a sudden, both Conte realized who Levy was and Levy realized who Conte was, and this is like a week into negotiations, um, which is just what is, it's what's so, so absurd. Of course we had to try for Conte, of course. And I'm not shocked that we missed out on him. What I'm shocked by is how late in the hour it got before Conte realized that Levy just wasn't going to spend all the money that he wanted, and Levy realizing that Conte maybe wouldn't work with the young players as well. Like, neither of those things are surprises how did that come up in day six of negotiating i just i really really don't understand so for anybody that doesn't know the main points that 
ended up causing the whole Levy Conte thing to not work, even though we're hiring Paratici, who is fine as a director of football. But I would have loved it with Conte. The two of them would have worked well together. Don't love it by himself. The issues that were had were uh, amount of spots on the coaching staff. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Antonio Conte just won the Scudetto, beating Juve for like the first time in forever amount of years. He had seven staff members, and he wanted to bring his seven staff members that just won that Scudetto. And Daniel Levy was like, you get four. And he was like, I want to bring these people. Now it's worth noting, Daniel Levy has had to pay off two consecutive coaching staffs in 18 months. Pachas, Mourinho's. So he didn't want to have a big squad, a big coaching squad coming in. Also, he really wanted Ledley King and Ryan Mason to be part of the senior staff. <laughs> eh, that's a weird demand. Maybe somebody finds a way. Maybe Levy lets him have one more. Conte's willing to sacrifice one more. You work that out. Apparently not. Uh, personal wages was about $3 million off, reportedly. More importantly, he wanted transfer funds that he needed to transform the squad into being genuine contenders right now. It's worth noting, as you mentioned earlier, this is exactly what he did at Chelsea. He came into a talented squad, cleaned up the Mourinho mess, and won them a title that year. Yeah. <laughs> That's all Conte wanted. I think he added 10 players that first summer at Chelsea. It isn't cheap. Hiring Conte is not cheap because of his wages, because of his ability as a manager. It's also not cheap because he demands players that know how to play his system, or that he can convert, like we were just talking about earlier. <laughs> but he's basically like, I need the money. To buy players that will be able to allow us to make that kind of leap. And I need to know that we're either not selling Harry Kane. Or if we are selling Harry Kane. That those funds are going back into the transfer funds. Now Dave, you and I were WhatsApping about this on like Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm. And I was like, I'm not confident that the Kane money would go back into transfers. And you were like, it has to. It's Antonio Conte. And it turns out we were both right. <laughs> Levy wasn't confident enough to say you'll get every last dime of the Kane money to be able to spend on your own players. Allegedly, he did tell him that we were willing to just hold Kane. Three years left on his contract, that's fine. But then there's not money for all those new players. It it was kind of a rock and a hard place. And like I said, if you zoom out, none of this is surprising. Conte demands money, he demands perfection, he demands to be contending immediately, and Daniel Levy is stingy with, with the club's money. He tries to run it so that it's profitable because we, in theory, (laughs) have an owner named Joe Lewis, but we really don't. Joe Lewis owns a company that owns Enoch that Levy is the chairman of that runs Tottenham Hotspur. Like, it is not an A to B thing. And so, somehow, a week into negotiations, Conte realizes that we don't have a lot of money, and that's why he just left the club he left. So, it's baffling. The demands that Levy had were absurd. Um... Like I said, it, it, I think on the the sixth or seventh day of negotiations, they just both went full mask off and, and all these things that should have been, you know, fungible. They should have been able to be negotiated around. Levy was like, I can't promise you that you need to have money. And Conte was like, but I need money. He was like, I thought you wanted to win. And Levy was like, I do, but not by spending money. That sounds awful. So it's it's really just embarrassing that that this has gone through as i'm sure you know dave and a lot of people that follow me on twitter i was driving the conte train the second he was released by inter because you don't just luck into that kind of manager being available to you while there are no other big clubs available to him 
as soon as it was announced that he was he left Inter, I tweeted, in my opinion, he should be the next Spurs manager. Yep. And he should have been. And he should have been. Like, if you have an opportunity to get Conte, you get Conte. I don't care if he wants to bring 17 staff, if he wants to put his family in positions at the club, you do it. If he wants an extra three million a year, you give it to him. If he wants some funds, you give it to him. But you look at the squad, right? Lloris is a good goalkeeper, no longer a great goalkeeper, but he's a he's a serviceable goalkeeper. He had Handanovic at at um Inter, mm. similar level, right? Joe Hart's not great, but he is what he is. And Alfie Whiteman's a, a talented young goalkeeper. Goalkeeper, you could say, boxed off for this season, fine. Back three, I think Tanganga. I think Tanganga is really good. I think Tanganga, but he's a center back, and Mourinho thought he was a right back for who the yes. hell knows why. But if you play Tanganga on the right of a three, Toby in the middle, and buy a left-footed center back. Like I've pushed for two years, Abdou Diallo of yep. PSG is desperate to get out of there. Then you've got Roden. Um, sorry, sorry, you'd have Davinson, Roden, and Davies as backups, right? That's That leaves you with Eric Dyer to sell anywhere. Get anything you can. If you get yep. 15 million from take it. You could play Doherty and Bergvine as your right wing backs. That, that means you can sell Aurier, okay? You've got... Um, Regulon and Sessegnon as your left wing backs, perfect. You've got Heusberg and Winks as your Brozovic deep deep lying playmaking. I think Winks would have genuinely seen a renaissance under Conte. So so do I. But then you've got say for your more creative role in midfield, the more creative box to box, you've got um Belly and Lascelles, so they can both play that role. You'd probably need a powerful box to box, more defensive kind of presser like it, the way he used to use Vidal yeah. the way he used and that's Mangan not Sissoko that, that would have Sissoko, to be an outside but Sissoko player. could be the backup but mm-hmm. that leaves you with Eric Lamella that you can sell okay so you'd, you'd still get a decent fee you won't you might get again 12 somebody in Italy a, will pay over 15 or 20 million for him of course they will and you can also then sell Deli Ali who doesn't fit in a, in a Conte team but there's a midfielder at City called Jan Hel Herrera, who's been at Granada the last two years, who would be perfect. Mm. And I don't think City would want massive money for him. Maybe 15, 20 million, similar to what they got for Douglas Luiz. But you get him, you get him for not a whole lot much more than you'd sell Lamella for. But that you've still got Deli Ali to sell Aurier and Eric Dyer. You can sell all three of those. You've got Kane and Son up front. You've got Mora as, say, a backup to Son. You need a backup to Kane. You'd have plenty of money to do it. The, yep. the, the Spurs squad is really strong. You need, like I said, a left-footed centre back, one in midfield, and a backup strike, a backup striker. That's mm-hmm. three players. It's not the perfect. And that's what Kane said: is we were two to three players away. And yeah. if you have Conte and you get those two to three players, I'm not saying we win the title, but we're no, but seriously you contending. You get top four easy. And as I said, you've got those players to sell who could fund those moves. Those players could fund those moves. Aurier still has a lot of clubs that like him in Europe. There'll be Premier League clubs that like Dyer. You'll get 12 to 15 for Lamella. And you will get a club that will take a gamble on the talent of Deli Ali. Yeah. You could get an Everton who would go, you know what? 25, 30 million. We'll take a chance on him. We think we can get the best out of him. Somebody they might. give you the money. Of course they might. And remember, Deli three years ago was a £100 million player. 
Yep. So the talent is there. He just doesn't fit Conte. But if you could sell those four players and then fill your three needs, the only real weakness you might have is you could say, okay, right wing back's not brilliant. Doherty's good, not great. Bergvine will wait and see, but at least it's a use of him. And you'd be a little bit unsure about the goalkeeper, but you can fix that in a year. But if you get top four, you'll have the money to fix it. But yeah. the bones of everything at Spurs is good. For me, Kev, the season is a D. Yeah. Because a D for disaster. Because I said at the start of the season, when you closed your transfer window with the players you did, if they don't get top four with this squad, with this manager, it's a disaster. And it, it was. was a disaster. And he got sacked. And you, you lost the cup final. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm giving Spurs an F. Because, because of what they've just done. You had an opportunity to hire one of the four best managers in the world. Klopp, Guardiola, Simeone, Conte. If you can get one of those four... You just do it. You do it, no matter what it takes. Yeah. I understand that Levy was probably looking at the Chelsea situation when they had Conte and the massive payoff they had to pay to his staff when they left. Yep. I don't care. Nope. I don't care. You have an obligation to that football club to put that football club in the best possible situation you can to win. And, and your best, best player just came out to try to bully you into showing ambition. And you didn't yeah. even have to show ambition. You yeah. lucked into what would have been something you that showed ambition. You'll, you'll never get an opportunity again. No. Nope. You'll have burnt your bridges with him. You're not going to get Klopp. You're not going to get Pep. And it's unlikely Simeone will ever come to England. Yep. So now you're just waiting for somebody that might grow into eventually being that. Like exactly. we did with Poch, yeah. who is gone. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and even... With the development of Poch, he's still a tier or two below those. Hmm. I'd say one. You know? You'd probably say two. But yeah. I'd say two. He hasn't had any success. Yeah. Won the two and, lighter cups in France. but And then those two have, those four have had sustained success over long periods. Conte's won five league titles in seven years. Five league titles in seven years. What? And he got promoted in Serie B as well. Yep. Um, Simeone, two league titles, two Europa Leagues, two Champions League finals with Atletico Madrid. By far, like gulfs behind Real Madrid and Barca in terms of finances. Yeah. Klopp what he did at Dortmund and Liverpool and Pep what he's done at Barca, Bayern and now City. Yeah. Like that's the level. Conte's in that group. He may be the best of them. Yeah, that's at what I was worst, saying. Four, at worst he's the fourth best manager in the world and right. you blew it. Yeah. yeah. And now you're getting Paratici who's good, not great. With with Conte it would have been great. Exactly. Without Conte it's question mark. It's question mark. Yeah. Especially like if we end up, years at Juve. especially if we end up chasing somebody like Galtier, who the idea was we were trying to get Galtier and Campos together, but Galtier yeah. was already going to Nice, Campos and was going Campos to Real Madrid, nice. and neither of those things have happened yet. No, but Campos is going to going to Nice with him. Oh, is he now? That's the latest. Is that oh, Nice have decided God. they want the two of them? Why nice, on earth remember, is that owned not us? by Britain's richest man? Yeah, uh, Jim Ratcliffe, I think is his name. Mm. Um, who is Nice's? I think it's I think it's Jim Ratcliffe is his name. But he's Britain's richest yeah, Jim Ratcliffe, Britain's richest man, worth about eighteen billion. Mm. And now he's putting together the team, the, the dream team that just beat PSG, PSG to a title. title with Poch, yep. by the way. Yep. Campos has built the only two teams who've beaten PSG the Monaco. Yep. Monaco and now this on small budgets. Yeah. Campos and Conte was the dream. Yeah, Campos left. You should have been appointing him in January. He should have been there when Mourinho was there because they wanted to work together again. Anyway, we're talking about Tottenham for a very long time. I ended up giving them a D, not an F, although with the Conte stuff, maybe it should have been an F. The reason I didn't give it a full F is we still managed to get European football, technically, throw an asterisk on there. 
beat out Arsenal on the final day despite their very good late push. And we got to see Kane and Bale assist each other, like, a lot. Mm. And that's just fun. Like, the fact that Mourinho and Levy were so incompetent that we had a season of Bale and Kane together and we didn't see it until Ryan Mason was our manager is absurd. Um, but anyway, there were a few bright moments this season that, that was enough. The City win, the brief hope that we might actually win something. Um, like I said, all the Kane and Bale moments. that They were great moments. They The whole season crumbled to ash in our hands, as now has our managerial appointment. But that doesn't remove those memories. It just kind of makes them the, the rare bright spots. It was a very dark season. Let's move on before you get too, um, too upset about this. Um, <laughs> Oh, Dave, Next just a quick second, be- just because you breathed there. Uh, if we're not putting this out till Thursday, we have a little extra time if you need to go now. No, look, let's just... We'll knock these three out, because these are three boring ones. We'll okay. knock these three out pretty quick. Okay. Um, West Brom's an F. <laughs> right, let's let's jump on then to West Brom. Um, relegated. Village sacked mid-season. Big Sam comes in to save the day. Doesn't get close to saving the day. Uh a decent run um, after losing to Spurs. They went on a decent run where they only lost three of ten. <laughs> but then they lost their last four. Pereira, the one real bright spot. He's Someone so in the Premier good. League. Someone's paying a lot of money for him. If you're Norwich, there. do you get him to replace Buendia? I don't know if he'd go there. Are they uh, big enough for him? I don't know. That's a good point. And I think he'd cost more. I think they'll hold on to him as much as they can. They'll want the same kind of money for him. I, I think it's an F because they got relegated. But I will say, the the players they brought in in January, Maitland-Niles is good. He should have been an Arsenal. Gallagher's a good player. I know he came last summer, but those two are talented. Yakuzlu was talented. He came in in, in January in midfield. Yeah, he to really lose good. all of them and now have to rebuild your midfield and re, you know replace Pereira, it's a big task facing whoever it is. It's been rumoured that Chris Wilder could be the favourite to go there. Um, but it's a big task. It, it's a shame to see them go down. I, I I like West Brom. I'd like to see them stay up. And obviously, for Dan, it'd be nice to see them mm. do quite well as well. But um, imagine being up in the Premier League again, and you weren't able to go that one year, and now you're back down. You're back down, yeah. and you're probably going to lose Sam Johnson as well. Because I'd imagine he'll get a Premier League move, even though I don't think he's up to much. Yeah, we're uh, we're sniffing, even though we don't yes. have a manager. 76 goals conceded last year. Don't sniff too hard. I would not. Um, I think it's an F for me. Yeah, I don't know how it can be anything other than an F. Like you said, there were bright moments. That early draw with Chelsea uh, should have been a win, but it ended up being a draw. Um, Like you mentioned, Pereira was was just fantastic for them this season. The defense was just never good enough. Um, Yeah, and like you said, they brought in Big Sam. Too late, by the way. If you there was a chance if you brought him in a month earlier, there would have been enough matches for them to squeak it. But how many points did they end up short? More than nine, because that was down to Fulham. Quite a few, quite a few. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If they, I don't know if they, they ended up thirteen up. points off Burnley. Nah, that was the problem. Happen. Was when Sam took over, they went in a really bad run. Yeah, like they had a horrible run when Sam took over. They kind of gave up in a bunch of games: Leeds, Arsenal, Villa. It was a really bad start for them. They didn't really get their, their their act together until mid-February, and Sam had taken over in sort of mid-December after the the, the city game. So there was yeah. there was two lost months there, and that's what really cost them, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's really not that much more to say. Like you said, the, their um, 
their ownership group wasn't even present in England for most of the season or the second half of last season after all the COVID stuff started. Now they might have to sell on. That, that club's about to be in a lot of transition. And I know we said it last year um, about Bournemouth, who then actually did fairly well and then you know had a chance in the playoffs. But um, I, I do not have much faith in this squad having a chance to bounce back next year. No, I feel the same. Yeah. I feel the same. All right, uh, on to West Ham, who had a very good season. Um, just full disclosure, I gave them an F <laughs> in our summer transfer show. Uh, you had them being relegated. So near yes. misses, near misses for both of us. But, I mean, if you look at it objectively, they signed two players from Slavia Praha. They signed a defender who had been washed for about four years since he left West Brom. And a promising but in much need of development, say Ben Rama, from the championship. That was not a winning group for me, especially under David Moyes. And it certainly looked to be true for the first month of the season. Didn't they? They, I think they didn't win any of their first four matches. And we were like, how long are they going to continue to give Moyes a chance on, on the second asking of, of bringing him back? Uh, but yeah, sometimes you're just crazy wrong. And I certainly was. Um, what I didn't anticipate was they stopped looking at players in the caliber that they had been looking at. They brought in Seb Haller. Both of us loved that move. Um, they brought in, oh my god, I forgot his name, the midfielder they brought in from... Felipe Anderson? No. From, I think it was Villarreal. Pablo Fernals? Yeah, Pablo Fernals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess Valencia. Um, but yeah, you, you, they used to chase those players. Who are the like Champions League rejects, kinda, who are Europa League, Champions League quality that can drag us up. But those players kept not being interested in being there. You mentioned Felipe Anderson there. A great example of that. They were bringing players in that wanted to live in London, wanted to be on big wages, and wanted to play. They didn't really care that it was in a clear and blue shirt. They just wanted the money. They wanted the chance. They didn't really get it. And so by bringing in Suchek and Sufal, you know, they, they do get it. They just understand. They understand kind of like the workman-like performances that are required at a club like that while also being talented themselves. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you have Greg Dawson being one of the better defenders in the Premier League, which I, I still don't understand how that happened. Um, but I, I, I just thought that the Suchek and Sufal th- signings, I think, are the ones that turned things around. They stopped trying to buy players that were air quotes better than them and bought players that would buy in and push them on. And they did that as, as part of the club they're at under David Moyes. They, they just, they got it and they, they got to work and they did absolutely fantastically. Suchek obviously scored buckets of goals early in the season that kind of dried up uh, as his role kind of shifted throughout the year the wingbacks you had Sufal and Cresswell who were your number one and number two assisters at the club and you know Mikhail Antonio's an interesting player he's not a true center forward the fact that those are the two that had your most accurate crosses and your most assists when you don't have like an incredible header of the ball you don't have a traditional number nine is really really impressive to me um also, you mentioned earlier, like Joe Willock was one of the best January signings we've ever seen. And the next is Jesse Lingard, who scored loads of goals after he joined. I think it was nine after he joined in January. Also dried up a little bit towards the end, which is probably why they, they slipped as far from the top four as they did kind of at the final hurdle. But, I mean, what they're building there, I think, is really good. And they should do what they can to keep Moyes. Now, if somebody offers them, like, 
20 million plus in compensation. Like if Everton just decide that they need Moyes back, you probably let him go. But he's he's building something there. And I, I think they're doing it in a much more organic way than when they used to try to overbuy themselves to drag themselves up. And then those players just not giving a shit, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, it, they're probably going to try to fend off interest in Rice. I personally don't see the Rice thing. I know loads of people do. I'm fine being wrong if I am. Um, if I was them, I might consider selling, getting a replacement there. If I could get getting a traditional number nine Rice for eighty million, I'd sell him no problem. Okay, gotcha. He's not that level of player. No, at all. No, I think he's in in the like thirty to forty, maybe. Um, but anyway, uh, if, if they're able to keep Moyes, if they're able to keep most of this core together next year, they'll be in European contention again. I think the big thing is if they can bring in a traditional number nine, because that allows Mikel Antonio to fill all of the different gaps that he used to, instead of having to be your number nine because you don't have one. Um, and letting go of Haller, I will never understand unless he just didn't care, which is kind of what I'm <laughs> accusing him of a little bit here without knowing him at all. But anyway, I think, you know, the Europa League could be difficult. They don't have the most incredible squad depth, but they have the manager. They have the 11. Just see where they go from there. But, you know, I'm probably wrong again because <laughs> I was this year. Do you know what's funny is I wrote an article on the EPL Index last last summer saying that they needed to build, not rebuild. Mm. But because they did so little in the transfer market, I, I, I thought they were going to be in trouble. Um, and they made some strange moves. But if they had beaten either Newcastle or Everton in those late season defeats, they would have got top four. Yeah. Um, I think Moyes is the manager of the year. I think he did an incredible job. I'm going to give them an A. I know it's unusual to give a team that finished sixth an A, but considering what the expectations were, not just from me and you, but from everybody. I saw loads of people, including West Ham fans, say that they'd struggle against relegation. In the end, they probably should have got top four. Consistency-wise, across the season, there wasn't many better than them. Um, They do have work to do this summer, without question. They They probably need a younger goalkeeper. Um... Maybe get another left back in, another another one in the middle. Uh, Tarkovsky, we mentioned in part one, would be good for them. Mm-hmm. I would sell Rice because I think if, if someone's offering you 80 million for Declan Rice, I think you just take it because he's good. He's not great. And if he Chelsea think Conte, he's the Conte replacement? I think that's madness. Yep. I think he's much more. He could play with Conte. You put him with Conte, with, with a player who's going to go and do the destroyer role and let him sit and hold the midfield and be like a bit of a playmaker. That's fine. He's comfortable in that role. Um, the him and the, the rice Suchek pairing was brilliant for them this season. And, and that shouldn't be taken away from. But um, yeah, I, I'll give them an A. I think they've got interesting decisions to make this summer. Like you, I think they need to get a number nine in. Patson Dak is the name that's been going Oof, around. I want him so badly because he could play with he'd Kane be, or replace him long-term. Yeah, he'd be an interesting fit. Um for them he he's not someone that can play up front on his own i don't think i don't think no, he's got I think a good need more of an aerial game. threat maybe that's where we sell about vegors this year possibly very very possibly um but yeah for me for me it's an a um and then on to our last team of this review it is wolverhampton wanderers they finished 13th uh they have parted company now with nuno espirito santo after four four good years of mm. three really good years and then this disappointing season um, very boring to watch for long spells. The injury to Jimenez killed their season. They had no no goal-scoring threats after that. Their top goal scorers this season, Pedro Neto and Ruben Neves, scored five each in all competitions. Uh, that's not ideal. 
they had a weird summer transfer window last year where they sold Doherty, bought Semedo, a better player, but not as well suited to their team. They spent huge money on Fabio Silva, clearly not ready for so the Premier weird. League. Uh, I did like bringing in Aitnuri and and uh, Kiana Hoiver. I think they'll be good signings for the long term, mm-hmm. assuming they keep Aitnuri permanently. But, I mean, 13th, defensively very poor, not a whole lot going on attack. Some bright spots. Neto, I thought, was very good until he hurt his knee. Um, Semedo settled in and started to play well. Adama found a bit of form late in the season. And we did see progression from Fabio Silva through the year. But um, all things considered, I think it's a very disappointing season for them. After, you know, coming up into the league and finishing seventh in back-to-back seasons, I thought they had a real opportunity to push on. Yeah. And um, and they failed to. And they went drastically backwards. And unfortunately, with, you know, the situation with their ownership... It's hard to see that there'll be much investment in the squad this year. We don't know. Bruno uh, Bruno Lager looks like the favourite to take over as manager. Um, but I'm sure they'll get some cut price deals work. on Portuguese players. Yeah, well, that's and that's part of the problem is that they've limited themselves in terms of what who they buy and what they buy. But all things considered, I, I do think unless they have like a fire sale and don't replace players, they'll still be fine next season. They'll be mid table. Yeah. But this season, especially if Jimenez is able to play again, which yeah, you, know, you can't Jimenez expect of him, but hopefully, see, that's the thing. What, what Jimenez do you get back is the big question. Do you get a hundred percent, ninety percent, or do you get like fifty percent? Is he going to be hesitant putting his head? Or is on it Ryan things? Mason again that he tries to come back and very quickly that's realizes that he just can't? He's been told he's going to have to wear headgear for the rest of his career as well, which isn't ideal. Um, like even Peter Cech, when he hurt, when he had his head injury, he was incredible before it he was good afterwards but he was never the same goalkeeper again um we'll wait and see on him and as we wait and see who the manager is what their mm. approach is this summer i think it's a d for wolves on the 2021 season and uh, i would hope that they show more next season because otherwise where are they going what are they doing if, if it's another season of 13th i think i think their big name players will start to lose interest yeah. Mendez will probably start to lose interest and he'll stop wanting to put his best players there as well. Also, to be fair, some of their better players did not cover themselves in glory this year. This is not a case of their big name players being victims. Like, Neves and Moutinho did not have the seasons that they had no, in Neves previous years. Poor. Yeah, exactly. Very, very poor for and him for his Ad- Adama Traore had to play so many minutes up front and, and try to play as well as he did because both Neto and Podence both had long term injuries. Mm. Like, and as somebody that had to play. Um, Olympiacos when Potence was there he is a tiny little terror he is not fun to play against Um, the striker signings were terrible I mean everybody and their mom knew that William Jose wasn't going to be a good signing and being like we'll get a player that's old but not good and a player that's talented but not good yet and they'll work was a Mm. very strange choice I think with William (laughs) Jose though like stylistically he was more similar to Jimenez true so I think the idea was if he can replicate some of what him some percentage, does, yeah, he'll get us, you know, some goals. But obviously, it didn't really work. No, um, they've they've got big questions to answer this For summer, sure. though. And like the, their defense needs an overhaul. Cody had a dreadful season. Yeah, Bolly's not good. It looks like Roman Sice will leave. Kilman looked good when he came in. He one did. of the few bright spots. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But yeah, yeah. they what won't think, want another season like that. What do you think? What do you think about Dendonker now after a couple of years in the Premier League? 
I think he's been really poorly used. Been totally mm. honest. I, I Do you think he, it's as damaging as Dyer? Like, like has he lost that potential that he once had the way Dyer did? Um, no, I don't think it's as terminal as the Dyer situation. Mm. Gotcha. Because I don't think he's been forced out of position as much as Dyer. Yeah. Like, Dyer just seemed to lose... He doesn't know how to read the game anymore. Because he's caught between centre-back and central midfielder. Yeah, That's the thing. He doesn't know what position he is anymore. Then Donker still looks like a midfielder. Even when he plays the back, he still looks like a midfielder. Yeah. Um, And I think when they play him and Neves together, it does work for them. As long as the wing-backs are playing well, the defensive line is holding its shape, and they have a focal point in attack. But when they lose the focal point, (laughs) none of that's there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I gave him a D as well. Also, I think I forgot to mention I, I did give West Ham an A minus. Um, but that'll uh, that'll do it for all of the clubs. That's all twenty. We've gone through all of them, varying lengths depending on how interested we were in them. Sorry, um, but massive appreciation to you, Dave, for taking the time out as as we do a couple times every year to go through all of these clubs and discuss everything they've been doing, the needs that they have, the seasons that they had, and what they can look forward to. Uh, if people want to look forward to other stuff from you, where can they go do that? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Two Footed Pod. They can find the Two Footed Podcast every day at 4 p.m. Um, on any podcast provider. Uh, just search EPL Index Podcast, or like I said, follow me on Twitter, and uh, we tweet it out ten times a day, so you'll see it there. Uh, other than that, <laughs> Anfield Index, Anfield Index Pro. Yeah, and I'm your host Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or by searching that on any of your podcasting things, but you've probably already managed to do that if you're listening to this and you've listened to over three hours, I think it'll wind up being of us talking about clubs. So uh, anyway, massive appreciation to all of you guys for listening. Incredible appreciation for, for Dave for taking the time out to talk with us about all of these Premier League clubs. And uh, folks at home, have a great summer, and we hope you keep listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.